Welcome to the London Property Podcast, your go-to source for navigating the complex and ever-changing London real estate market. Our digital marketplace provides informative and educational content from industry leaders through podcasts and videos. We cover various aspects of the real estate experience, including buying and selling, finance, law, tax, construction, design, and more. Join us as we delve into the latest trends and developments in the market and gain valuable insights from our panel of experts. Hello and welcome to London Property, the home of Super Prime. I am your host, Farnas Fazaipour, and we're pleased to welcome David Smith back to the show. Welcome back to the show, David. Thank you. Um, David is an expert lawyer in Landlord and Tenant Act and has played an active role in the recent changes of the rent bill. And um, I'm going to let you take over here and tell us a little bit about your background, please, David. Okay. Uh, Expert lawyer. Wow. Um, uh, I'm I'm the head of property litigation for uh, the London office of JMW Solicitors, which is, is probably the biggest firm you've never heard of in the sense that it's huge in Manchester, but has opened in London only four years ago, but has gone in that period from from naught people to 200. So we're wow. growing pretty fast in London. Um, and um, uh, my, my specialty, although my property litigation team covers quite a wide range of stuff, my primary specialty is residential property and particularly uh, residential let property. Um, and I've worked in that pretty much since I qualified in various contexts. Um, I am currently the legal counsel for the National Residential Landlords Association. And before that, I was the policy director for the Residential Landlords Association, which is one of the two groups that led into it. So I've worked both as a as a frontline lawyer, as it were, but also um, quite some time in, in, in sort of lobbying government over and around um, this kind of legislation. And obviously, we've... Uh, We've been talking about this this renters reform bill since uh, about 2019. So I spent quite a lot of time discussing it in various contexts. Fantastic. So couldn't be speaking to a better person about the rent bill. Can you just summarize the rent bill for us? Yeah, so 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 the renters open brackets reform, close brackets bill, to give it its its, its full title, um is is it is sort of does several things. I mean, obviously, the big ticket item that everyone talks about is it gets rid of Section Twenty One. Um, but actually, in my view, that's that's not that surprising or, or even that that serious. There are much more substantial aspects to the bill. So the other thing it does, which I think is in practice more more concerning, is that it removes assured shorthold tenancies altogether, and all tenancies are fully assured and indeed with no fixed term. So that means that all tenancies are periodic from the start if they fall within within the, the remit of the Housing Act 88, which means that tenants can leave after giving two months notice at any time, but landlords can only evict on the basis of, of, um, of a specific ground for possession. So, so in practice, you, you have no certainty as to how long your tenants will remain in your property. It could be as little as two months. Um, but equally, landlords have no way of, of encouraging tenants to leave. In practice, Section 21 wasn't used as much as people think. Most tenants tended to leave at the end of the agreed fixed term. It will not be possible to agree in a fixed term, and seeking to do so will be an offence under the new bill. So that's not possible. Then other sort of big ticket items is rent, 
Um, you will only be able to increase rent using a statutory rent increase mechanism under Section 13, so you can't agree a rent increase. Um, and rents must also only be paid monthly, so there's a sort of provision there as well. And then there's a whole screed of new grounds for possession, which I'm sure we'll get onto, but there's lots of them, so I'm not going to run through them all right now. Um, and then there are various things around pets as well. Wow. Well, the one thing that that uh, comes to me when you when you say all of that is that when the tenant can break the the, the contract at any time, you're going to have to really take measures for people taking a long lease and leaving after two months and having always intended to do that, which usually would take different different rent amounts. So the market. Yeah, so, so the short that market is yeah. potentially in real trouble because why would you pay the uplift that you would normally pay on a short let property? Um, when you could just say, well, I'll just take it on a standard let and then just immediately give notice. And, and then, of course, at the same time, we've got the levelling up and regeneration bill, which will shortly pass through Parliament, which has already uh, got consultations running on a short let register. So um, the short let market is is likely to face two substantial shocks in um, in, um, in in sort of quick succession as the short let register kicks in. Which will which will almost certainly mean greater enforcement of short let restrictions in London, for example, um, and also potentially a loss of money as people simply don't take properties on short lets. And would the legislation not allow a landlord to say that if you break the contract, you know, before the six month period, the rent will be a different amount? Uh, no, because because they wouldn't be breaking the contract because tenants can leave at any point and any attempt to place a fixed term on a tenancy is an offence. Wow. Okay. So, um, so in your I, opinion... But well, you could have a, a rent that dropped over periods of time. So you could say the rent for the first six months is X and for the second six months is Y and for the third six months is Z. You could probably do that. But um, right. it's debatable. Right. Gosh. Um, and in your opinion, what are the points on the rent bill um, that need further attention to be practical? Almost all of them in practice. I mean, one of the things that's really frustrating about this bill is that the government's made perfectly clear it tends to make um, substantial alterations to it. So um, although we've all started talking about it, one of the very frustrating elements is that we all know that at second reading, which will probably happen in September, the bill's likely to get quite a substantial recutting by the government. Um, and, and so, um, in a sense, we're still talking about something that we don't, don't really know. I mean, it's a, it's a bit of a frustrating position in the sense that the government's it, it's, it's put out a bill that looks like a piece of my homework from school, half-finished and not very good. So um, they, they've sort of thrown out this half-finished piece of legislation in order just to get something on the table. Right. And I, I suppose that it helps getting people's reactions from, from within the industry to try and influence what they do next, one hopes. Yeah, but traditionally that would have been done before we published the bill. Yeah. So, but I think there's an aspect in which they felt that they weren't ever going to get everyone into, into a level of agreement, so they just went for it. But there's quite a lot of issues around around the grounds of possession, particularly, which I think are going to see tweaks up and down and um and and um issues around pets, which I think will probably see a lot of adjustment as well. So pets used to be allowed under the sort of European laws as as part of human rights, weren't they, if I remember correctly? 
And well, there was no definitive position on that. I mean, it, it's it's possible to advertise a property as being not suitable for pets. There was always a very old piece of legislation from the 1950s called the Allotments Act, which said that a no pets clause didn't apply to rabbits and chickens. So tenants could always keep rabbits and chickens, but they, the, the intention of that act was not really to do with pets, quite frankly. It was to do with keeping rabbits and chickens for food value, um, which probably is a little bit different from what most people who want pets are thinking of. I don't imagine they're planning to eat their dogs. Um, the, the government's now produced a position that, that, that doesn't stop you advertising a property as being not suitable for pets, but it does mean that when a tenant's in place, they can request a pet and it's difficult for a landlord to say no, they have to have a reasonable ground for doing so. And it's quite, it's quite unclear what that means. Um, there's no case, there's not a lot of case law on it. What the case, what case law there is, is it comes from commercial properties. So it's difficult for us to say at this stage what would be reasonable in respect to refusing a pet. Right. And I suppose, you know, depending on the actual uh, leases on the leaseholder who's subletting is going to make things even more complicated. Well, one of, the, one of the situations where it is always reasonable to refuse a pet is where you have a superior landlord that says no pets. You're required to go and ask the superior landlord, but if the superior landlord then says no, you're entitled to say no to your to your occupant, your tenants. Okay. Um, but the other problem, of course, is is what do I mean by pet? The, 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 the legislation merely says pets. And uh, I'm waiting for people to I don't know, have pet llamas or pet micro pigs and say, well, that's okay. And, and you know, I was watching a, a show. I was at home and working from home and my wife had the daytime TV on. There was someone with a pet pet duck. So I was, I was, like, I was wondering what, 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 what the government intended when it said pets. I mean, everyone always thinks cats and dogs, but there are some people who have a different view of pets. It deals with a situation where... Um, you have to give consent, but there's nothing in there about withdrawing the consent later. Um, it says the consent has to be can be made subject to reasonable conditions, which of course could be that the dog's not a nuisance. But there's no practical means at that point of of asking the tenant to leave, and there's no ground for possession that links to this either. So um, the legislation does allow you to demand that the tenant pays for pet insurance, which, and has amended the Tenant Fees Act to allow for that, but. But there's nothing to enforce this where, for example, a tenant just says, well, yes, okay, I'll pay for pet insurance and then just doesn't pay you. So there are lots of things that, that are not really sorted out in this area that, that, are, that need tidying up around pets. And would you say there is anything that's the best part of this bill? I, I think I was going to ask you what are the best and worst parts of this bill. So what, what, what would be your <laughs> snap answer to that? Um, I think it depends on your point of view, of course. I mean, obviously, tenant groups are very pleased about the removal of Section 21, but but the reality is no one's terribly happy with it. Um, most landlords and landlord and agent groups are very unhappy about there being no minimum fixed term. Um, most tenant groups think that because there are grounds for possession that, that they think are too powerful, that it's actually quite weak source for, for tenants as well. So, so the reality is, I think the worst part of this is that no one's walking away terribly satisfied with it. Um, I mean, there's another argument that says, of course, if no one's satisfied, that means that uh, you've got you've got the balance about right. But as things stand, there's no particular group turning around and saying that this is a great a great piece of work. 
Yeah, and together with all the other attacks that are happening in the rental market, which we won't get into, it's 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 difficult times at the moment for investment landlords, especially. In yeah, Georgia. I think it's it's more a general tenor of how things have been for quite some time, and it just it just feels like one thing after another. And you know, I get it. If I was um, a bit older and and um, you know was thinking about retiring, I might eventually say, well. You know, this is just enough. I'll just sell the rental properties and walk away. Why, why, why bother carrying on? I think if the government was, for example, to introduce a CGT break that was effective for landlords, you might see a massive exodus if people thought that they could they could uh, avoid some capital gains tax, for example. But um, that's not not something that the government's in any way suggested. I hasten to add. Yeah. So, when would you say was the last big change that uh, happened b- before the rent bill? Of this size, yeah, probably uh, the Housing Act 2004, uh, tenancy deposit protection, um, and property licensing. So it's 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 big. And, and, and prior to that, probably the Housing Act 1988. I mean, at the end of the day, bear in mind the Housing Act 1988 introduces assured and assured shorthold tenancies. The Renters Reform Bill is getting rid of assured shorthold tenancies and effectively making all tenancies fully assured. So there's a there's a massive rollback in terms of the overall construction, you know, in terms of, of, of how we think about tenancies, which seems antithetical in some ways to the way things have moved. It's, uh, tenancies have, have generally got shorter, but that's not just landlords making tenancies shorter. Tenants, in, as a rule, tend to want shorter tenancies. And I think one of the, the troubling aspects of the rental reform bill is it's still trying to achieve um, the thing that never really works, which is assuming that the entire rental sector is the same. And you know, a group of young professionals renting in central London is just not the same as a group of uh, as a single family renting in in you know out in rural Yorkshire. That the, their needs and wants and desires are totally different. And this bill doesn't really, still doesn't really address that. Issue. Um, I always think that markets will find a way, but I guess if we don't have a full understanding of the rent bill, it's quite difficult for markets to find a way. But uh, do you see any any hope on the horizon for using some aspects of this this law to find some solutions? Um, I think the main solutions will come from from the market changing. Um, I mean, I mean, the bigger problem, in a sense, is all the all the side problems. The, the reality is that most landlords don't ask tenants to leave. Tenants ask to leave, so it won't really matter to most landlords if if um, there's no fixed term tenancies. It, they, they just have to accept the changing the fact that they have less certainty than they previously had. But I don't think that's necessarily a problem for many landlords. And I think the reality is that. But once landlords get used to the changes, many of them won't be that fussed. Um, I think the bigger problems then cut into things like courts and things like that, and the the solutions when things go wrong, which are still very problematic. Um, and the renters' reform bill increases those problems um, in the sense that it will become more difficult and expensive to get tenants to go because you will need more specialist advice. Um, so I think. That's the problem and the direction that, um, that, 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 that we need to look at and, and whether we can make improvements in the court system as much as anything. Is that not something that they also talked about, having faster proceedings as a result of the rent bill? 
Well, MH, uh, DLUHC has promised that, but that's not really theirs to promise. That's the Ministry of Justice thing to deal with. And the Ministry of Justice has been conspicuously quiet throughout this. And frankly, I'll believe it when I see it. Right. So um, the lettings business has obviously been under attack from many angles over the last decade. <laughs> what impact do you think the legal changes have? Well, I think it's just just yet another push. and And the reality is that I mean, the lettings business has got nothing to do with the problems, in a sense. The problem is is associated with the fact that we have insufficient housing. So the government really needs to start putting some serious housing on the ground very quickly and provide confidence to the letting sector, I think, by rethinking the manner of taxation, which is a bit of a, a, bit of a dog's dinner and also, frankly, treats um, landlords as, as businesses when we feel like it, but not as businesses when we don't want to. So you need to go, you need to make a decision and, and treat them as businesses or don't treat them as businesses. But if you treat them as businesses, they need the tax breaks that businesses get, um, which would mean restoration of things like mortgage interest rate relief um, uh, benefits and things like that. Um, and then I think the government needs to do something about the court system. There needs to be confidence for landlords that where there is a problem, that problem will be resolved. I think if you do those things, that will go a long way towards improving the situation. And then the rhetoric needs to be dialed down a little bit. I don't think there's much point in Tory MPs going around talking about rent control and suggesting that landlords are the problem. Um, they need to be a bit more honest about what the problems actually are. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And I think that if you actually, you could also differentiate between landlord and landlord. If somebody is actually proving that they've been dedicated to the business for a set number of years and, you know, have provided housing for a set number of years or amounts of housing, then there should be some kind of difference between how you, you give them relief. And, and you know, the way things are going at the moment, certainly for, for Prime Central London, you know, soon you know the choice is going to be for the very wealthy because there's so little stock and people are going to have to start moving out into all the built to rent uh, you know in the kind of different zones i think yeah i mean the the the, the exodus from london i think will continue and, and in some senses that's not entirely a bad thing i mean the idea of leveling up i mean ideally you want people to move a bit further than just the surrounding home counties but the whole concept of levelling up was to try and get get the wealth spread out of London. So that's not necessarily the worst thing in the world, as long as you have the infrastructure and, and support so the economy doesn't suffer. Um, but I think one of the problems is that landlords will continue to incorporate. So that creates complexity and challenge throughout the system as well. Um, and then, I mean, the bizarre scenario is... is if you're a landlord, you've always traditionally voted conservative, but the, ironically, the Labour Party is not necessarily a terribly bad choice. The Conservative Party has tended towards the view and has taken, uh, at least I feel, has taken actions based on the fact that landlords will always just vote conservative. But given that the Labour Party has explicitly said that they wouldn't support rent control schemes, you know, and they're, they're taking, in, in sense, quite a pro-business line. They wouldn't have to say very much, I don't think, to be to be a preferred option from, from your average landlord. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. It could any worse. Yeah. Um, so on the subject of uh, incorporating, what is what is the best advice that you have for landlords about the bill if, if they want to try and stick it out and, and make the right decisions? Um, look at your portfolio. Uh, look at who you're renting to. 
Um, I mean, I mean, the reality is we, we, we also bear in mind one of the nice things about renting in a sense is that is that there's a shortage of tenants. You know, the, the, the need for housing is acute. So the business model is is fundamentally sound. But I would look at your portfolio, um, consider how it stacks up against expected, for example, energy performance changes and things like that. Look at who you're renting to and what the market is likely to continue to be. Um and then and then start making adjustments now before you have your um you, you're up against the wall. And if you need yes. if you need to adjust your portfolio by selling off some properties, start doing that now and then and then replacing them with alternative properties. And and then also focus portfolio. Don't have a lot of everything. Try and keep it quite focused on a particular sector. So when I was asking, when I was mentioning incorporating, it's because I have heard and I have yet to understand how it's done. And I don't know whether you can shed any light on this, but for private landlords to actually go for incorporation relief so they could try and move their portfolios from their personal names into corporate names without being subjected to stamp duty. Then then my advice is to go and take some tax advice. The, I mean, the most important advice is actually not, not a lawyer. It's an accountant who specializes in capital gains and stamp duty. Um, it is possible to defer both stamp duty and capital gains, as I understand it, but I'm not a specialist and I would advise you to go and speak to someone who specialises in that from a tax point of view. Yeah. So hopefully and, and that the, the tax is the most important bit. Yeah. Yeah. And ho- ho- hopefully there will be a way to, to do this because there are landlords who hold, who hold numbers of, of rental units and it wouldn't be practical for them to try and move it into a company and mm-hmm. pay stamp duty. Yeah, the point I should make though is that I haven't mentioned that the rents reform bill also includes a property register, effectively a PRS database, and also a requirement for landlords to join a redress scheme. So one of the things we've seen in Wales that has been problematic is landlords getting themselves mixed up when registering with um, the Welsh National Database. And if you own properties in lots of different ways, so if you own, you know, some yourself, some are owned by your spouse, some are owned by you and your spouse jointly, some are owned in a company, those are all separate registrations for the purposes of PRS database, because each database requires an individual to register and then to register all the properties that person or that entity owns. So it's important to bear in mind that if you're going to if you're going to incorporate, it's a lot easier to do the whole thing. It's much, it's much, it's more complicated for you and be more expensive for you and riskier for you to um, have properties and lots of different ownership structures because you will have to register each of those entities separately with the PRS database and get them right. And when is that a requirement from? Don't know yet. It's part of the renters' reform bill. So we'll have to wait and see what, how that yeah. bill progresses. Sounds like we're going to have to try and squeeze ourselves in for another appointment with you in the months to come. So before well, we thank it's you, it's even more much, complicated because I understand there's rumours now going around that Michael Gove might get reshuffled to another department. So we just don't know where the renters' reform bill will be under his undisputed successor. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Well, we will be keeping close eye on it. But before we thank you and say goodbye, um, and 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 really appreciate your time again, can you just for our listeners uh, tell us about what is your absolute area of speciality? What you do day in day out, and what are the services that our our uh, listeners can can look to you for help and advice? Well, JMW is a full service law firm. I run a property litigation team that covers a, an incredibly wide range of specialisms from quite unusual things like basement extensions and party walls 
through the more the more general um, sort of run of property litigation work, my specialty is uh, short residential tenancies and the regulation of them. So licensing, prosecution, civil penalties, evicting tenants, all of those kind of things. Brilliant. Always have to go to the man who knows in order to get things done fast and and uh, <laughs> waste as little money as possible. So uh, well, well I'm, I'm not the cheapest, but I do try to be be one of the best. Well, yes. No, I, I, I don't necessarily mean being the cheapest, but sometimes you, when if you go to the wrong people, things take way longer than they should. So not only are you losing rent and not reletting, but you know you're in this whole kind of wrangle. So going to the people who can actually get the job done efficiently and effectively, you know, in my opinion, is always always the best route. No problem. Yeah, we're right there. I don't disagree. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, David. And as I say, we will keep a close eye on on the rent bill and uh, we look forward to speaking to you again, welcoming you back to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in to our latest episode of the London Property Podcast. Head over to our website where you can browse our exclusive network of top experts driving the market. As a member, you'll have direct access to our experts and their networks. Our award-winning content will help you choose the right professionals for your needs and make informed decisions about your investments. Personal recommendations are a powerful tool in connecting with trusted professionals. Let us introduce you to the right people to help you achieve your real estate goals. Contact us now to learn more about becoming a member and gaining access to these valuable resources or joining our directory of experts.